the hell is going on? What's really going on? We said, what the hell happened? You don't have to know what the hell is on it. They, they see what's going on. I don't know what's going on. What is going on? We must find out what is going on. Hi, I'm Danielle Petka. I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell is going on today? Well, what the hell is going on is we're trying to get down to the origin story of where this virus came from. So we are on lockdown. More than 20 million people have lost their jobs in a month. Hundreds of millions of us are sequestered in our homes. We passed a $2.3 trillion in spending to mitigate the effects of this. And, uh, you know, we want to know... Where did this virus come from and how did it get here? And the fact is the Chinese government has been lying from the first day. And we've done multiple episodes detailing the lies, covering up this, you know, punishing doctors who try to expose it. And it begs a question, which is why the cover up? Not just why the cover up, but because I I think that the Chinese... Let's be fair and say that the Chinese Communist Party's instinct is to cover everything up, right? Sure. Anything that makes the country look bad, anything that where there's dissension, anything where there's corruption, right? Their instinct is to cover up. The question here is the origin story and why they're so desperate. And let's let's just talk about how desperate they are, okay? Everybody who has been involved in this has been disappeared, disciplined, shuttered for re-education. The genome itself was disappeared until the Chinese government was finally forced to release its sequencing. But even then, we don't have the actual original genome of the disease. We just have their transmission, their facts, maybe. Yeah. And this has, of course, become a huge political football, right? Tom Cotton got involved right up front and said, I think the Chinese government is to fault. Everybody landed on him. And, you know, and now it's become a, a football between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So I think the question is, did it come from that disgusting wet market that you and I talked about? Yeah. You know, so that's the interesting thing, because true, China is a communist totalitarian dictatorship. And so they do naturally cover things up. So that that's one possible explanation. But the extent of the cover up is so vast that it makes you wonder whether it's just that. And the reality is, look, if a naturally occurring accident in nature caused a viral outbreak that China was unable to control, no one would blame Beijing for that. You know, that that happens, right? I mean, it happened with the SARS virus and, you know, and happened with Ebola, it happened with MERS. I mean, it happens in all around the world. And it's not necessarily a reflection on China that it uh, that it happened in China and that it spread around the world. And the world wanted to immediately as soon as word started leaking out. We wanted to send CDC researchers to Beijing. They said no. We wanted to said, can we get copies of the sample so that we can do some to start working on testing and help? They said no. You know, the world wanted to help China and they covered it up. So why is that? The origin story of this is that it happened in the wet market. And that origin story has kind of fallen apart. And that's not just that's not just me and Mark saying that The Lancet, which is really the British medical journal of record, had a big piece in which it said it's very, very hard to make the case because there is absolutely no evidence to make the case. Yeah. The first person 
whose documented having it had no connection with the market. We know it's a bat coronavirus. So how did it get to humans? It had to have some intermediary host at the wet market. They haven't been able to identify the intermediary host. And, and again, there's some really yeah. good there's some really good scientific articles about this, both you know, in Scientific American and also on a site called Life Science. Really interesting if you want to dive deeper into. And that. we'll link to them in the transcript. You know, so. The idea that this came from the wet market is a theory, one that everybody accepted immediately. Well, it had to have come from the wet market. Okay, you know, this is where SARS came from right. originally, so we just accepted this as the theory. And there's a competing theory that's coming out and that's gained a lot of traction, which is that this came from a Chinese lab. Not that it was a bioweapon. There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there saying, you know, oh, the Chinese were engineering this bioweapon and released it onto the world or they got out. No, there were labs in Wuhan. The Wuhan Institute of Virology and China's CDC had a lab that was only 300 yards away from the market where they were studying bat coronavirus. And so the possibility is that this virus escaped from that lab either because a worker got sick and took it out with him or bad sanitation and biohazard waste disposal or some other way. There's no more evidence of that than there is of the uh, wet market. Of the wet market, but these are competing theories that that have a lot of traction. And if that was the case, it would explain why China is so desperate to cover this up from the very beginning. If they knew it came from the lab, that would add a layer of their culpability because it was a lab accident. You can that, they can be held accountable for that. Right, and of course, I think in this case, even more interesting. The Chinese government's not just looking out to the world, not just looking for the blame that they're hearing on American cable stations and in this conversation, but they're looking internally, that this could actually undermine Xi Jinping's rule. Exactly. Because, in fact, the Chinese people have, despite the lies about the numbers, they know that the Chinese people have suffered disproportionately, that there have been deaths, that there have been illness, that their economy is now for the first time contracting. And so Xi Jinping wants to skirt the blame. You know, I saw that the head of security for Hubei province, the guy who was in charge of locking down Wuhan, has just been arrested by China's anti-corruption commission. There you go. Coincidence? I don't think so. No, that's exactly right. So we've got a great guest to come on to talk about this. Our friend uh, Josh Rogan, who I have loyal listeners, you've heard him on this podcast before, wrote a great story in The Washington Post where he went and actually talked to a lot of scientists and dug deep into this theory of that it might have come from one of the labs. And he got hold of two classified State Department cables that actually talked about State Department concerns that this lab's security procedures were not adequate and, in fact, specifically said that the virus could escape from that lab and infect people and cause a pandemic. So real prescience on the part of whoever wrote those cables. And, in fact, Josh talks about all of the details of that. So Again, Josh's bio, all of you know him uh, all too well, but Josh is a columnist for the Global Opinions section of the Washington Post. He's a political analyst with CNN. He's written foreign foreign policy and national security for Bloomberg, for Newsweek, for the Daily Beast, for foreign policy. I could keep going for quite a while. He's a terrific journalist. He's a really good investigator, and we're lucky to have him. Well, Josh, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be with you from home. You've got some really fancy equipment over there. Everybody else we're doing is on uh, telephone. It sounds like they're calling from China, but you sound like you're right here and here with us. So it's awesome. Yeah, well, I saved a lot of money this month on uh, traveling to visit family. So I invested it in microphone equipment. There you go. <laughs> awesome. 
Well, you've had a uh, great column in the Post recently because the conventional wisdom about how this pandemic started is that there was an infection that jumped from animal to human in the seafood market in Wuhan. And you and David Ignatius have both written that that story has become increasingly shaky and that there's an alternative theory. Can you tell us about it? Right. So even the Chinese government isn't repeating the Wuhan seafood market origin theory uh, the way they were a couple of months ago for a few pretty obvious reasons. I mean, one is that, you know, in February, a bunch of Chinese researchers published a study in The Lancet showing that a lot of the first cluster of cases, including the first known one, had nothing to do with the market. It was like some old guy who lived really far from the market. He didn't know about the market. And uh, of course, the Chinese government subsequently shut down all research about the origin of the virus. We can get to that later. As it turns out, the market didn't have bats. It's not clear it had like the pangolins, if you believe the pangolin theory. And, you know, it just seems like all of a sudden there's just silence on the Chinese side about this whole market theory. So as that started to sort of seem less and less plausible, more people inside the government began to look at other options. And of course, 300 yards down the road is the Wuhan Center for Disease and Control and Prevention Laboratory. Another 20 miles down the road is the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They both studied pet coronaviruses and their transmission to humans potentially. So it seemed like a logical place to look. And as this was happening, you know, some people inside the government started circulating this 2018 cable, actually two cables that U.S. Embassy officials in Beijing had written when they visited the Wuhan Institute of Virology and been so shocked by what they saw as lack safety standards and the danger of the way that they were dealing with bat coronaviruses that they sent back what they said were warning shots, right? They were begging people to take a look at this lab and actually give it more funding and more support so that they could fix their safety problems. Those calls for assistance were never answered. But now that the Wuhan market story seems ridiculous, all of a sudden people inside the administration are taking another look at these labs and they've set the intelligence community on the task of finding evidence and proof to confirm what these cables predicted, which was that a SARS-like pandemic would emerge out of the city of Wuhan having something to do with bat coronaviruses. They put that in the cable. I mean, it's in the cable and it happened. And, you know, the scientific community, by the way, in the last week since I published that article has just been all over the place, right? I've got dozens, if not hundreds of emails from scientists saying, that's ridiculous, that's outrageous. I knew those scientists personally, they're lovely people, they would never do such a thing. And then I've got an equal number of scientists emailing me like, oh no, you're onto something that definitely was a lab accident, we got to check it out. And, you know, so all the scientists, kind of like all the journalists and all the think tank experts are 100% sure they're right, but they all disagree with each other all the time. And this has been sort of thrust into the fore and also become part of a political fight between the Trump administration and the Biden campaign. And we can get into that too. But anyway, long story short, we don't know where the virus came from. We need to know where the virus came from. It's critical scientific information for determining how we fight the pandemic and for preventing the next one, which will surely come. It's important at the start to disaggregate two different things, which is there seems to be no evidence that this was a bioweapon. Uh, which is what a lot of scientists have been pushing back on. There was a study that showed that this had to be naturally occurring. What the theory is, is that this may have come out of a lab where they were studying a naturally occurring virus and that it could have been a lab accident. It could have been a worker who got infected. It could have been basically a, a lab failure. Is that is that right, that we're not talking about right. a bioweapon? Yes, because, you know, the, I think the serious discussion about the origin of the novel coronavirus pandemic has been sort of corrupted and really distorted by this bioweapon 
thing because the people who are saying it's definitely a bioweapon don't have any evidence to support that. And the people who are, who are attacking that theory are often using it as a straw man to say that it didn't come from the lab at all. When in fact, there's a, you know, if you forget about the bioweapon thing, because from what we can see about the virus, it doesn't seem possible that that's the case. It's not the way a, a bioweapon would have been constructed. Plus, this lab was publishing prolifically for years. Okay, so under what circumstance, if you were building a secret bioweapon, would you publish everything all over the world? You know, it's not like it's the opposite of what you would do if you would build a bioweapon. So it doesn't really make any sense on its face. So, Josh, I just want to dive in a little bit to this question of the lab itself, because I think that's really important. It's also, at the end of the day, what generated the cables, which generated your story. So this is a, a Chinese virology and bio research lab. It's at this BSL4, Bio Research Safety Level 4. Can you just talk about the basics of that for a second, just to sort of orientate people around what we are talking about at that very basic level? First of all, there are several labs. There's the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is the premier bat coronavirus lab probably in the world, definitely in China. And for years and years and years, they've been trying to basically prevent the next SARS-like pandemic by working with all sorts of people and organizations, including a bunch of Americans, to collect bats all over China, mostly in southern Yunnan province, figure out what viruses they were holding, and then figuring out, you know, if you mix and sort of play with those viruses and put them in animals, what can we learn about how they might transmit to animals? What does that tell us about how they might transmit to humans? And this was generally agreed in the scientific and international community to be important work, but also dangerous and risky work, right? They also collaborated with a team at UNC, which was doing what we call gain-of-function research. This didn't happen in Wuhan. It happened in North Carolina. But what they would do is they would make the viruses more virulent and more deadly and more contagious in order to sort of see how that might occur by trying to speed up the evolutionary process in their lab. And that was also very risky. That's a whole other story. Then you've got the Wuhan CDC lab, which is like a, a different lab in Wuhan. Then you've got a, a PLA bio lab, which is like nobody. People's likes Liberation to Army. About. Yeah. So there's lots of labs and lots of scientists doing lots of science all the time, which is supposed to be good. We were funding a lot of this research through the NIH, the Eco Health Alliance, through the USAID PREDICT program. Even after I wrote this article, I've been talking to scientists every day and just learning about what was going on in this lab. And almost all the scientists say the same thing. They're like, these are super nice people who are just trying to prevent us from having another pandemic. And we can't believe that this would possibly be the case that they would escape from this lab. And we're pretty sure that, you know, it was a natural occurrence. But it sort of gets you all the way back to this unsolved question, which is like two questions, actually. One is like, okay, then what are they covering up? Okay, because the lab has been silenced. All the research has been suppressed. All the people who knew anything have been disappeared. It's like a full-scale Chinese Communist Party cover-up. And so if there's nothing fine, what are they covering up? That's the first thing. And then the second thing is like, okay, if you want to argue that it was a natural occurrence, in other words, an animal got bit by a bat or a human got bit by a bat, who knows, maybe the virus bounced around in a bunch of humans for a while. You would have to believe that that happened 300 feet from the lab by pure coincidence, that of all the bats and all of the caves and all of the <laughs> right? and this is like- Wait, I feel a line from Casablanca coming on. Yeah, I keep asking these scientists who are 100% sure, and, and you know, there's an argument for it. Okay, all of the pandemics we've seen before have been spillovers that happened in nature. On the other hand, viruses escape from labs all the time. SARS escaped from a lab in Beijing at least four 
times that we know about. So you get like six scientists, you get 10 different opinions. But the bottom line is to believe that it had nothing to do with the lab, you have to believe that the one time in a trillion chance that the worst virus we've ever seen that's killing the most people that we've ever seen emerged at the exact spot, like literally the exact spot that all of these bat coronavirus immunology and viral experimentation labs just happen to be at. That's a leap of faith that I can't quite get over. And that's not the same thing as having evidence, but it means that we have to figure it out and we have to convince Beijing to let us in there. Let's say it is a natural occurrence. We could prove that too. You know how you do that according to the scientists? You go to Wuhan, you start scooping up bats. This is what they do. They collect all the bats. And what if we found it in a bat in a cave 10 miles from Wuhan? Well, the Chinese government would be vindicated. You would think they would want to do that, right? They leached that market. Remember that market we were talking about? Two days later, they went through the whole thing and just like covered it in antiseptic. It's the opposite of what you would do if you thought that the evidence to vindicate your country from making the world sick was in that market. The last thing you do is soak it in bleach. Okay, so two quick questions. One is technical and the other is just about creating this nexus with the lab. So the first thing is, I know that in researching, just to talk to you, I was fascinated by the fact that these bio-research safety levels, the BSLs, you know, and this was a BSL level four lab, that in fact there's no enforcement on this ranking at all. It's kind of used in conjunction with the World Health Organization. There's a manual from the World Health Organization which lists the different levels. But in fact, you know, if if Mark and I decide that we're going to go back to our house and create a BSL level four research lab, people may not credit our research, but there's actually no, no enforcement of our standards, that standard at all. You're not wrong. Here's what I would say is in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, they have a bunch of different labs, okay? One is the BSL-4 lab. Now, a lot of the bat coronavirus work wouldn't have happened in that lab anyway. And at the CDC lab, which is BSL level two, which was described to me as one administration official as like better than high school, not as good as undergrad, right? And, and <laughs> they were also doing bat coronavirus research. So there's some of it that you don't need to do in a BSL-4 lab, but most of the stuff that USAID and the NIH was doing with these guys and this one particular team led by Dr. Shi Zhongli, who they call the Batwoman, you know, most of that did not have to be done in a BSL-4 lab. When the US Maybe it should have been. There. Well, yeah, you could say that, but I mean, I don't know. So a lot of people are going to listen to this, and I want to make sure that we're being sort of precise here because I'm not in a position to judge the science and the exact standards, and most of this is circumstantial evidence that points to a need to find out answers by letting international and independent inspectors into these labs and talk to these scientists and see what they were doing. So this is a long way of saying, we don't know what was going on in that BSL-4 lab. Were they doing some of the more risky experiments? I don't know. We should find out, right? The work that the USAID and NIH people were doing was at a sort of lower classification level. It seems like maybe that was appropriate based on the standard operating procedures or whatever, but it doesn't mean that an accident couldn't have taken place, right? And accidents happen all the time, as it turns out. And in our system, that's something that like scientists don't like to admit. But imagine you're living in, you know, Chinese Communist Party system. You're going to be the guy who goes to the little local party official and says, uh, "Listen, uh, we had some leak at the left." No, I mean you'll die. You'll, you'll disappear. You. You'll be the end, right? I mean, Madame Schur said in an interview, she bets her life it didn't come out of the left. Well, yeah, I bet she does bet her life because. You know, in her system, you don't get to, like, make a mistake like that. People get concerned with BSL-4. It seemed like there was a problem with working their BSL-4 lab. We don't have any evidence that that's connected to this. 
We don't know what was going in, on inside that DSL-4 lab. We do know that they were playing around with a lot of bat coronaviruses in a lot of different ways for a lot of different projects. And by the way, this is some new information there. I heard that they're going to come out with a, a list. Like one Institute of Virology has been super secret and silent recently, other than to deny that they had anything to do with it. So they're preparing to make some sort of transparency disclosure that they will present to us as vindication, right? Well, okay, well, that's a step, but it just shows you that they're now acknowledging that, you know, they have to tell us more about what the heck they were up to. So my second sort of question was, you know, on the exculpatory side. Okay, so what we're saying now is, yes, we have absolutely, absolutely no evidence that the first people who were diagnosed with what we were then calling the Wuhan virus had any nexus with the market. And that, in fact, you know, it comes from bats, but there were no bats at that market. It may have come from pangolins. There may not even be pangolins at that market. Do we have or have you seen or heard about any information that creates a nexus between the lab and the first sufferers of the virus? No, there's no firm evidence connecting to the lab and it's a really important question. It's a really important point to make, connecting any of the labs, frankly, to the, the initial patients or the initial outbreak. I mean, of course, some people will say the fact that the CDC lab is literally 300 feet from the market. That presents some sort of evidence, but actual scientific evidence is still uh, lacking. And, you know, as you went through that litany, I couldn't help remembering all these conversations I've been having with all these scientists. And they're all, you know, over the map. They all disagree with each other. You know, they're all, you know, have extensive resumes and litanies of pieces of paper that say that they're qualified to know what exactly how bat coronaviruses work, but I found no consensus, okay? And there are scientists who will swear up and down that it could have gone straight from the bats to the humans, and there are others who will say, no, that's totally impossible. There are some who will say it definitely could have come from the market. There's some who say it definitely came from the lab. I don't know. It's, how, how are we supposed to tell? You know, we have the whole U.S intelligence community looking for that information right now coming up empty but there's a again you have to keep coming back to the reason why right why are we having this conversation why are why don't we know isn't it important aren't people dying every single day including today in our country and countries all over the world because we don't have this information and it's because the chinese government is intentionally withholding it as part of a broad campaign of controlling the narrative and withholding all sorts of scientific information there are they released the genome of the novel coronavirus, the one that we're dealing with. But the lab that did that did it against the government's wishes and was shuttered the next day for, quote unquote, rectification. The original samples, which is the thing that I hear from scientists a lot these days, is the earliest cases had samples, right? Actual samples of the virus. Those could be different than the samples that we're collecting from people in New Jersey today because the virus is constantly moving around and mutating. But those samples hold key information and they won't give them to us. And we keep asking them, and they won't explain why they won't give it to us. Wouldn't we want to know? If you're a skeptic of this theory and that the lab was involved, you sort of have to get over that hurdle of answering why it is that there's just this massive, massive effort from the Chinese government to say, oh, no, you can only look for the keys under the lamppost. If they're not on the lamppost, I don't know what to tell you. You know, <laughs> that's their stance. Well, I want to get to the broader cover-up in a second, but I mean, you know, people are saying, oh, well, this is just a theory. It's just, it hasn't been proven. There's no direct evidence and all the rest of it. That's true. That's true. But isn't that also true of the seafood market theory? You know, there's the first known patient, according to the Lancet, had no connection to the market. They didn't sell bats. The bats come from a cave a thousand miles away in Yunnan province. And they also haven't identified an intermediate host 
from between the bat and the humans. So is there any more credence to the seafood market theory than there is to the lab theory? I think the seafood market theory is looking less and less plausible. There's a third theory, right, which is um, one of the doctors. The grassy knoll. <laughs> right. It, the theory basically goes something like this, you know, forget about the seafood market. Some bat or a wildlife that got bitten by a bat was trafficked into the city of Wuhan or came from the city of Wuhan and transferred over into humans through a random natural occurrence, as has happened in the past. And that had nothing to do with the lab and nothing to do with the market, right? And the way to check that theory, as I said before, is to sort of like swarm into Wuhan and collect all the pangolins and bats and see which ones has which virus, right? And that work is not going on. So even if you wanted to prove that it wasn't from the lab, there's a way to do it that's not happening. And I can't sit here and adjudicate between all these scientists because they all disagree with each other. All I can say is that inside the U.S. government, there's an intelligence gap. There's an intelligence gap because the Chinese government is thwarting our ability to learn intentionally what the heck happened. And what the hell happened? Excuse me. <laughs> I was afraid I was going to have to pay your royalty if I said it that way. No, and we, we've got an explicit so, rating. You can use whatever yes, language you want. He doesn't want us to take our intellectual property. Oh, OK. Unlike the Chinese. <laughs> So we got to get to the bottom of this. I don't yep. see any other way around it. And I don't see any other way the battle of scientists experts is going to be resolved until we check out one of these two theories. Collect all the bats in Wuhan, get into that lab. Let's do both. How about that? Let's check out both of these theories. I'm curious. So let's get back to the cover up, because I think it's really an interesting question, because the fact is they haven't just covered up the details of the lab. They were covering up the whole outbreak from day one. You know, the first case was in late November. They denied until mid-January that there was even human-to-human transmission. If this had been just a natural occurrence, no one would blame China for a natural outbreak that it was beyond their control. So it strikes me that why would they be go to so much extent to deny that it was happening, even in the early stages when the U.S. government was asking for samples and trying to send CDC emergency personnel to help them, that they just complete lockdown from the very beginning of the outbreak. Now, that could just be how totalitarian regimes operate, but it strikes me that they would be have an interest in covering it up if there was some direct government culpability in the outbreak. Right. And Mark, I think you're asking the perfect question, and I think you also just answered it, is that this is how the Chinese Communist Party acts, because this is its character. Because in China, there's no bad news. And in China, if you're the local official, then you don't report bad news to the news. You don't report it up to the senior official until it's absolutely necessary. And if you're the senior official, you don't report it up to the next official until it's absolutely necessary. Now, that's not to say that our government functioned like a well-oiled machine in the first two months of this coronavirus, but it's a false equivalence, right? If you tried to compare like the debate and politicization of coronavirus inside our administration and inside our politics, which I hope we'll talk about because I think it's fascinating, it fits into this China question, it's totally different than doctors sneaking information out of the world and literally getting jailed or disappeared or tortured or killed for it. Okay, It's different than journalists in China, the Chinese ones being intimidated or jailed or disappeared, and the American ones just being kicked out of the country altogether. It's different than, you know, a city of Wuhan where people are like staging like these mass protests, sometimes silent protests, to honor these martyrs who they believe sacrificed and died to help the public save itself from its own government, which is oppressive and repressive and just, you know, awful in so many ways. And then much later, there was a huge, of course, shift in Beijing to a sort of an overreaction, some draconian measures, and we could debate their success. And that's not even talking about them hiding all of the death numbers and the actual statistics, which again, and they still are. So 
there's there's something fundamental here that you're touching on, which is that we have this debate over U.S.-China relations, and you know, shouldn't we cooperate with China, and isn't it important to cooperate with China? And of course, that's like a true and a meaningless statement at the same time, because we can only cooperate with China to the extent that they're willing to cooperate with us, and it only benefits us if they cooperate with us on the basis of the things that we need, which are basic transparency, accountability, factual truth-telling, public health information. I mean, think about it. If if we can't cooperate with them on a pandemic, and again, I don't think we're blameless, but I think they deserve the lion's share of the blame. What can we cooperate on? How does that work? How does it work when they have a virus that they know is coming to get us and they lie about it? And then our citizens and our economy and our public health system is all suffering. And to this day, we still can't get them to deal honestly with us. Right. That's a, that's a fundamental break. I don't see how we get past it. So I want to make a bridge to exactly what you suggested, which is that it's worth talking about the politicization of the virus. And and obviously, you know, the Trump administration has contributed uh, its, its own efforts in that direction, as usual. But one of the things that's been interesting to me is this assistance program that you also wrote about, which is, you know, that the Wuhan lab has received money from AID, from the U.S. government, and from a whole variety of different sources, which some people are taking to suggest that, in fact, the U.S. is somehow complicit in what's happened because, you know, A, didn't we know, and B, weren't we giving them money? It reminded me a little bit of, uh, you know, when I left the U.S. government and, and the U.S. government was talking about the illegal Pakistani nuclear weapons program and how insecure it was and how at risk it was from Islamist extremists. And so the U.S. government made a tough decision to actually go in and help on security for an illegal nuclear weapons program. Does that make us complicit with the Pakistani illegal weapons program? I don't think it does, but perhaps people have more to understand about U.S. assistance. What did you learn? Right. Okay. So let me... Really long question. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. It's two really good questions. The politicization and are we complicit? So what's fascinating is that in the cables from 2018, the U.S. diplomats, the health officials and science officials from the embassy were calling on the United States government and organizations to give... Uh, the Wuhan lab more money and more support because they knew that that was the only way that they would reach the level of safety and security that would allow them to uh, do this important work and continue to do it. And the theory of the case for 10 years, ever since we got past SARS and decided how to institutionally prepare for the next pandemic was to forward deploy these resources. Most SARS-like viruses come out of China. It makes sense to put the lab in China and start collecting bats in China. And we dedicated $200 million to that idea at least and spent 10 years doing it and then just abandoned it two months before the pandemic. So, you know, it's an easy headline to say, oh, we were complicit in building up this lab. And you could certainly make an argument that maybe we shouldn't have built a lab in China in the first place. But in 2018, no, the right move would have been to support this lab and have more involvement, more transparency and more safety there. So no, I don't think we're complicit. I think actually we ignored this problem and cut off the aid for pandemic prevention uh, at exactly the wrong time. And guess what? We got a pandemic out of it. So I think that was pretty stupid on our part. Now, when it comes to the politicization of the coronavirus issue, I think there's plenty of blame to go around. And first, it was Biden calling the travel ban xenophobic. And then it was Trump calling Biden weak on China. Now it's Biden calling Trump weak on China. And it's in the Congress as well. And, you know, I remember this bill that they had with uh, Jim Banks, and it was to blame the Chinese Communist Party for the spread of the pandemic. And Seth Moulton, uh, centrist, Democrat signed on. He was the only Democratic 
co-sponsor. And uh, he got raked over the coals and by his own party and his primary challenger. And they called him racist and everything else in the book. And he withdrew his support. So even on the issue of whether or not we should assign sort of the responsibility of this to the Chinese Communist Party, that has become hyper-politicized and sort of weaponized by everybody. And I think that's a really corrosive and terrible trend that we should be avoiding. And, you know, I wrote a column about a week ago about the polling. The polling shows that Americans, Democrats and Republicans pretty much see through both the U.S. political spin and the Chinese Communist Party propaganda. They understand the open source information and that this likely came from China and that the Chinese government has been definitely covering it up. And that that's a huge problem that has implications for them as they sit in their homes and they can't visit grandma. And so in Washington, we just can't resist weaponizing this. But, you know, that's exactly what the Chinese Communist Party wants. They want to sort of, you know, divide and conquer. They want all China hawks to be called racist and all anti-Chinese Communist Party efforts to be termed anti-Chinese, you know. And so we have to consciously take a, a moment of pause in our crazy Washington bubble here and say to each other, hey, listen, in the fight for our public health and our national security and the push to make China and Chinese government behave better, we're all on that side. We're on the same side, okay? And uh, that's really important. I think that's getting lost. Well, what I worry about, Josh, is that, you know, the narrative, and this is my, my final question, is that the narrative in Washington has become that Trump is trying to scapegoat China in order to divert attention from his own failures. And so, therefore, the media is not going to want to pursue the China angle because it's perceived as helping Trump in that scapegoating. The New York Times actually had a story on the front page on Sunday that literally said Republicans are trying to scapegoat China. And first of all, the premise of that is just ridiculous. The idea that, you know, if China is the arsonist that set this fire and, you know, the fire brigade was late to the uh, to the game, that doesn't absolve the arsonist. You're not scapegoating the arsonist who set the fire. They're two different things. So is this a problem we face now in Washington that we're so, everything is so politicized that there's going to be a resistance to actually put the blame where it resides in China? Yes. <laughs> I mean, listen, I think there's an element of truth to all of the arguments. There is a tendency. I mean, not all people who are anti-CCP are anti-China, but some of them are. Not all media are pro-China. They're just mostly lazy and, you know, not used to writing about the nature of the Chinese Communist Party. The Trump administration can be correct when it blames China and also abusing it for its political purposes. I mean, if you watch those ads, right, it's gratuitous. And it's unnecessary, right? And we have to sort of be honest about that. So yes, China is on balance to blame for the, the fact that, you know, I have to sit in my house and I can't see my parents for a year. That's I feel angry about that as an American. I don't blame Joe Biden for that, okay? And I certainly don't blame the media for that. I think we can hold two thoughts in our head that we have to understand that the culpability here needs to be assigned and then dealt with, and that has to be part of our overall approach to U.S.-China relations. And everybody in Washington can take a deep breath and say, okay, listen, let's just try for a second not to weaponize this and distort it for our own short-term political or financial gain, uh, because that distracts us from the longer issue. Yeah, well, it would be nice if everybody behaved like grown-ups. So, Exit question. You've done all of this research. You've heard from scientists who love you, scientists who hate you, scientists who think you know everything, and scientists who think you're a complete freaking idiot. Think- Who's right? <laughs> <laughs> now, what do you think that, what do you think, in talking to your sources inside the U.S. government, what do you think the prospects are for a good and definitive 
understanding of this from the U.S. intelligence community? I think the prospects are low. I think there's a signals intelligence gap. That's what I'm hearing. Our human intelligence networks in China are not what they used to be, not what they should be. There's definitely an effort by the Chinese government to thwart our signals collecting uh, related to Wuhan labs, which is interesting. It's not evidence, but it's certainly interesting. I think that they're not going to let us find the smoking gun. If they found it, they destroyed it or buried it or jailed it. If they didn't find it, they're hunting for it, and then they're going to destroy it, bury it, or jail it. They may never let us find the smoking gun. We may never find it, okay? They would be derelict if they let us find it. So we'll always have this doubt. And it's a huge problem, and it's a petri dish for conspiracy theories in every direction. But that doesn't change what we have to do. The, the mission is the same, is that to press for more transparency, accountability, more information, real data, real science, you know? And it, guess what, uh, to all the scientists out there who didn't like my article, you know, I have no interest in how this comes out. If it turns out it was the one in a trillion bat that just happened to be 300 feet from the lab, okay, I'm fine with that. But there's no sort of argument for drawing a conclusion that it definitely didn't come from the lab or it definitely did until we have the ability to, to get in there and to find out. And, uh, you know, that may require a lot of pressure from the U.S. government and whether or not the U.S. government has the sort of intent or capability, frankly, to exert that pressure and get to these answers is yet to be determined. You have done amazing work on this. This was super interesting. Thank you so much for joining us again. We're really grateful. Thank you. So Josh really didn't disappoint. He's done amazing work on this. I'm looking forward to seeing his next piece as well. But it is amazing to me how quickly this went from being a story about a virus that originated in China to being the object of competing political commercials from the Trump and Biden campaigns. Josh called them gratuitous ads. I don't know if it's so gratuitous. The fact is that China is to blame, that the vast majority of Americans do blame China, both Republicans and Democrats, for this uh, virus. And this narrative that has emerged in the media that any effort to call out China, any effort to place the blame on Beijing, you're just trying to distract from Donald Trump's failures. Donald Trump is responsible for this virus, not the Chinese government. And so you're playing into Donald Trump's hands. And the reality is that two things could be true which is that, one, China is responsible for the virus, and two, the Trump administration didn't respond as well or as quickly as we would have wanted them to. And the analogy I use with the arsonist is like, you know, an arsonist sets a fire. If the fire brigade doesn't come fast enough, that doesn't mean the arsonist didn't set the fire. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. So, the, But the, the central thrust of these competing commercials has been who's soft on China, with Biden saying Trump's soft on China and Trump's people saying Biden's soft on China. The funny thing is- well, One is right and one is wrong. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I don't agree with that. There was a very interesting piece in the New York Times, I think over the weekend, that, in fact, I think it was on the front page, that said the Trump administration's conclusion is they need to be tough on China. There's only one problem with that. Donald Trump isn't necessarily with the program. And I agree about that. That guy goes back and forth. Xi Jinping is my friend. You know, I think they've done a good job. You know, I can I can pull the news clips for you. Oh, good. Thanks. I mean, look, <laughs> I haven't seen them elsewhere. I mean, look, the fact that he says nice things about uh, Xi Jinping doesn't mean that he's not tough on China. He's been tougher on China than any president, including my former boss, including Barack Obama, than any president in our in our lifetime. But you agree that it and, sends a mixed message, don't you? 
you know, you need to stop focusing so much on Donald Trump's praise of dictators because he's negotiating with. He, it's part of his negotiating technique is that he praises these guys. But the reality is that he did shut down air travel with China at late January and which Dr. Fauci who is him? Whose judgment is who's a, who's a new newly found saint? I believe exactly. Except when he defends Trump, in which case they ask him in the briefing, "Are you saying that of your own free will?" You know, which is just ridiculous. Fauci said that's probably saved hundreds of thousands of lives. And guess what? Joe Biden, when that came out, said that's xenophobic. Yeah, you know, no, so that's if Joe right. Biden was the president, and when during this crisis, we would not have shut down travel. Look, Nancy Pelosi went to Chinatown in mid-February, in February twenty-fourth, and said. There's no danger here. Everybody come to Chinatown. The, the, there's lots of blame to go around on the, the response. None of it, whether it's Biden or, or Pelosi or Trump, none of that absolves Beijing. Look, I agree with you that none of this should move away from the central responsibility of the Chinese communist government. And I hear what you're saying on the question of Trump and his unbelievably generous view of pretty much every dictator he ever meets. I understand that, that that can be perceived as a negotiating tactic, but I, I do think that it complicates it. And just from a purely political standpoint, you just quoted Joe Biden saying you know, xenophobic, which was a stupid thing to say. And just as easily, we can take Donald Trump at face value gushing on about Xi Jinping. Except that Trump shut down travel with China. Yes, but we're talking about politics action. now. Yeah. And that's the challenge is... As we move away from the coronavirus, God willing, and we start into the full presidential campaign season, this is what's going to be going back and forth. Is, yeah, is I don't not... think we're going to move away from the coronavirus. It's going to be the central to the uh, presidential campaign. And we'll have plenty of time to debate that on this podcast and in columns and everything like that. But what worries me is that we need to hold China responsible for what it did. The reason we are locked in our homes right now is not because Joe Biden was soft on China. It's not because Donald Trump failed to act as fast as we would have liked him to. It's because China knew in December that this was capable of human to human transmission and didn't fess up until late January about that and didn't share virus samples so we couldn't get testing going and didn't allow CDC people to come in and help them because they when they were completely overwhelmed. And sanitized the and Wuhan sanitized market. sanitized the and Wuhan more. market. And did, you just needed that to find out where the virus was coming from and may have, in fact, this may have been a laboratory leak. And we need to hold them. You know, the reason why more than 20 million Americans are out of work is because of that. And stop blaming Donald Trump for that and stop blaming American politicians and even stop blaming our bureaucracy that screwed up. China is responsible for this and we need to hold them to account. Well, I'm sorry. We are the richest, most developed, most powerful country in the world. I expect us to perform just a little bit better than I my expectations of the Fine. communist Chinese. So, folks, you can hear Mark and I are going to continue fighting long after we get off the air. But we are setting ourselves up for our next podcast, so do be sure that you tune in. We're going to be talking about whether we can sue China yes. for its responsibility for the coronavirus. This is going to be super interesting. But for the meantime, stay safe, stay distanced. I'll just say this for Mark, especially from Danny. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And our team here at AEI is Alexa Santry, Matt Winesett, Jen Moretta, and Macy Heath. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D. Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. 
please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.